You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 32. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum. Or something like that. This is episode 32. I'm Rebecca, and with me is a man who is not a doctor, but he will operate on you. It's Wishbone Will. (laughs) I'm partial to leeches. (laughs) Um, Were you very good at operation? Did you have an operation game in the 80s? Uh, I didn't, but yeah, my we, friend did. We did it a lot, but it stressed me out too much. It I did, was I did not stressful. like the buzzing. And then also, if I started messing up a lot, I was like, screw it, we're getting that out. Buzz all you want to. I'll just cover. <laughs> I would pinch his little nose yeah. that lights up, and I was like, uh-uh, scream if you want. We're getting this. <laughs> yeah, there's no delicate touch when it comes to surgery on the ground, okay? This is an important situation here. Yeah, the Sometimes medical board needs it. to understand that the bread basket slipped down in the back <laughs> area where I couldn't see it, so I had to waggle it. That's the one that I remember, too, is the bread basket and the wishbone. That's why I said yeah. wishbone. Those are the two parts that I remember from operation. Yeah, me, too. And there's nothing else that I remember. We blocked it all out. Yeah, I don't remember any other like metaphor body parts. The rest of them just look like bones. I think there was like a wrench, if I remember correctly. Okay, yeah. Like in the arm or something. Yeah. I don't remember. Oh, like a wrenched elbow. Isn't oh, okay. that a thing? I think that's giving them a little more credit than yeah. they deserve. But So neither of us clearly became trauma surgeons after <laughs> playing Operation in the 80s. But, you know, you do some good doctorate on yourself from time to time. We all have to. We do in our house. I know we do the uh, liquid bandage a lot. I'm My nails are always cracking from the guitar stuff and everything. I am always... And I'm always just like bashing my knuckle on stuff, which just makes me infuriated, but... Quit cramming bandage. your hands in mason jars and stuff. I know. Like I'm a always raccoon. just cramming my hands everywhere. I, I can't keep them. I can't keep them delicate. I don't know how. <laughs> That's a good product. It is. It also makes me feel a little bit like okay, this is how the future should be because we should be able to grow futuristic skin over our frail human skin. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like I'm one step closer to being like a l- lizard or a ninja turtle. Well, Uh, uh, with that preamble, what are we talking about today? On today's show, we're going to count down our personal favorite takes on the doctor archetype. I have four. Rebecca has four. It's a top eight. Okay. Now, what is, especially for our intents, a doctor? We talked about this a bit because some of us objected to others of ours pick ideas, but I think we settled on someone with the skills to enhance or heal others. And we're not too hung up on professional distinctions. No, I'm not too hung up on professional distinctions, but I am hung up on like, we're dealing with meat 
meat universe, like okay. real subjects. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't be like a magical healer for this okay, countdown. Okay, right. So no okay. magical healers. Um, no real like, hmm, like c- cybernetic androidy scientists. Like no, no Mega Man doctors, not Dr. Robotnik, which I was going to talk about but we, yeah. yeah we agreed it's not that yeah you're practicing medicine here plus okay. we already did like scientists true 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 so you know this is this is more of the your your daily practitioners yes so if we're talking about people who are doing real medical practice on other human beings this is a history that goes back a long way nespa i think so and to give the history I will talk more about the origins of our modern doctor, but it is fun to think about where this first started. And if we were going to look at the first doctor, we do have to go back to our caveman friends. As we always are fond of doing. Yeah, I do like when cavemen have figured things out. From prehistoric times, we have seen paintings and bones from the Neolithic period, which is 10 to 70,000 uh, BC years ago <laughs> when we were uh, in high school yes that, that tell us they probably used plants for medicine or even did a little trepanning like, which it, you probably might know is drilling into skulls to remove splinters or demons and um, we don't know what they were after but it was something yeah and, and and we've seen enough bones with those holes in skulls that they must have thought whatever they were trying to do was pretty successful um, so it might have worked to relieve some sort of head injury or uh, uh, something that would cause infection or something. That's pretty wild. And very briefly through the ancient world, we know Egyptians did some of the first surgeries like root canals. The Babylonians gave prescriptions. Then in Greece, Hippocrates and his students created uh, the foundational medical texts and the Hippocratic Oath. Yes. Yes, we know that. We know of that. By the ancients. Now, we we had some backsliding, though, a bit, though, during the Dark Ages, right? Because I feel like if you go, if you look at, like, you know, we had so many advances in the early civilization, like the uh, Greek and Middle Eastern cultures. We know that there were a whole lot of advances then, but then we kind of, like, lost sight of that because we all were had the plague and suffered a lot in the middle ages (laughs) i I didn't look into that but maybe that is because uh, so much of this stuff was germ related at the time we didn't have the tools for that but in the medieval period i i do think that's where things get really interesting and that is sort of where the first modern doctors are are brewed and from what i read um in, in Europe, especially, there were like three types of doctor, and there was a real class distinction between each of them. There were the physicians, who are the elite kind of doctors with university degrees. There are surgeons that are hospital trained. And then there are apothecaries, who are sort of like your uh, wise person and might have herbs and that kind of thing. I love the idea of a surgeon not being someone... That we are like, you know, as respected like, as yeah, as just like it's like, well, he's gonna root around in you. He's done it a few times. Yeah, that's some 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 base work or something. Yeah, um, actually, stick your hands in the guts and wiggle <laughs> them around. Well, and if we were gonna dig, <laughs> that's it, a real that's a real common man's trick. Yeah, right that's there. right. Yeah, that's undignified. Yeah, <laughs> it's like being a car mechanic. You know, it's you know, you would think like, well, you have to have a lot of skilled, highly technical knowledge. It's like, nah, just you know, get on in there, tinker with him. It sounds like the physicians were more like uh, they were going to talk to you philosophically about what might be going wrong or something. <laughs> yeah, them ivory tower doctors who ain't never reached into a man and yanked out his bread basket. <laughs> <laughs> If we were going to dig into the surgeon role a little bit more, they began with the 
role of the barber surgeon, which you might have heard of. This is where all that bloodletting stuff comes from. Uh, so in the Middle Ages in Renaissance, monasteries employed barbers to keep their heads shaved, but also trained them in medical procedures like bloodletting. I guess because they had so much practice with like sharp instruments and stuff. And so there was a real class difference between these people and the surgeons. But slowly, people started to see the value of these barber surgeons as countries got involved with wars and battles and stuff. And like, yeah, they're doing a pretty good job. And so then, so then on the sly, the noble class started kind of inviting surgeons to kind of help them out, but they wouldn't talk about it a lot. And so slowly, the surgeon got to be a little more respected. <laughs> and thank goodness for that. <laughs> yes. Because if you need your tonsils out, you want it done clinically in a nice setting and not in someone's shack. At, at, an, uh, at a Great Clips. <laughs> yeah, you don't want a, a walk-in appointment at a Great Clips. I'll have, I'll have the Prince Adam and a bloodletting, please. <laughs> so, um, obviously, as you would imagine, the role of doctors in literature goes back pretty far, too. Um I was actually surprised to see that people in literature did not think too highly of physicians uh-huh. for a long time. Um, there was a doctor in Macbeth in 1606, but it was still a very Middle Ages kind of way of thinking about medicine because the doctor is brought in to see Lady Macbeth about her sleepwalking. Uh-huh. And he's more or less like, I can't help you, ma'am, because, you know, the problem is not physical it's a problem more of the divine than the physician yeah oh he sounds like a physician oh i know right oh because she has a guilty conscience and that makes her sleepwalk and that was his assessment so at the time that probably was yeah that sounds like the kind of physician we're talking about that makes a lot of sense yeah i wonder if people distrusted doctors a lot in the middle ages and they were sort of creepy and stuff because um they must have seemed so invasive in your life, like when they're skulking around, they get to know all the private stuff about you and only they know how to fix you. And there's just not a lot known. It's like a, um, it's like a guild, you know? It's- yeah. Like, and I, I do imagine that there's probably a whole lot of, uh, innate suspicion you have when someone is talking to you about your own body right mm-hmm. like uh, or they'll be questioning your um your virtues and your morals and uh how right you are with god and whether there's a demon in you and yeah. <laughs> um yeah okay so i thought this was interesting you know they were mocked in literature throughout like the 17th century uh for putting on airs and like how arbitrary that they're you know, how they decided what was healthy and what was harmful. Uh, There's a doctor character in Don Quixote that takes a fruit platter away from the king because the fruit's too wet. And he's like, I'm in charge of what the king can eat. That fruit is too wet. And then apparently uh, Moliere also made fun of doctors with sentiments like, you know, whatever they do, whether you get killed or not, they'll still give you a bill. You know, oh. there was a lot. I, I was actually surprised to see that because I thought we would just have like our trust of doctors. That well, I guess their 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 craft wasn't proven yet. No, and, and each one, each doctor probably had their own uh, unique remedies for things. So there's no consistency between them, probably or regionally. There's probably a big difference until yeah. there's the schools. So I feel like our modern conception of the doctor doesn't come along until the practice advances. Uh huh. And it seems like that was really concurrent with. Doctors coming from England over to the American colonies, because when that happened, these elite physicians had to come over, but they also had to be surgeons and they also had to be apothecaries and write prescriptions. And so you start having these first medical schools where they're taught how to do all of those three things. 
And then in the subsequent couple of centuries, we learned to wash our hands before surgery. And here we are. <laughs> and we were off to the races. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, of course, we also at this point start to get the uh, themes of the moral limits of medicine. This is, this is the 19th century that we also get like Dr. Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm -hmm. So like we're, we're grappling with all those themes. But then it's basically matures into order and reason amidst the chaos of life. Right. So then by the time we get off, like get to films and television, we have characters like Marcus Welby, MD, or like the soap opera General Hospital. Uh -huh. Like doctors and medicine were always seen as a, a way of imposing order on, you know, the, the dramas of life. Uh -huh. So that's basically where we are now. That's, that's a lot of history in a very, very yeah. brief nugget. But yeah, like uh, that's how we see medicine in media today. But we have all sorts of iterations of the different themes of it. And we still have the mad scientist, the blood letter, the apothecary. The folk medicine practitioner. We still have all of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, and with all of that in mind, would you like to start us off with your first pick? Number eight. You know how you get a lollipop if you're good at the doctor's office? Yes. Okay. Or a sticker. This pick deserves a lollipop more than anybody else on the list, I guarantee you. Okay. This is a real-life doctor who is kind of like a folk legend now. This is a Russian surgeon named Leonid Rogozov, and it's a fascinating, horrifying story about a very brave man, okay? Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what he did in a okay, second. lay it on me. Uh, I'll tell you what he did in a second. Um, but I was going to say, I am not brave at the doctor, and I'm terrified about lots of medical stuff. How would you grade yourself about your fears of the doctor? This is so obnoxious. I'm very good at the doctor. I just don't understand that. I'm very it seems good like at you it. would not like people being so invasive and Well, I've never gone to the doctor except for like when I decided I was going to go, right? Okay. I never had medicine imposed on me <laughs> because I never went to the doctor as a child. <laughs> so when I go to the doctor, it's all my Is there terms. A, is there but is there a type of uh procedure or something that you just do not like i don't want to ever be put under that is uh -huh. something that I, I don't ever want to have a surgery where i have to have general anesthesia i don't love that idea that does uh -huh. kind of wig me out a little bit but i'm okay about like shots and even i had my blood drawn recently for the first time ever recently <laughs> this year and i did fine with that okay i've got big meaty veins in my arms so that was not hard but yeah, no, I don't want to be unconscious. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say the same thing. Um, I'm most scared of anesthesia, which is funny because my sister does that for that a living. That is funny. But that is, I just can't do that. It must be the, not just the loss of control, but I think it's like the indignity and intimacy of being vulnerable when you're unconscious. There's that too. I don't like that somebody be looking at me while I am unconscious. And then also, I, I guess if I had to do it for like a surgery, I'd be okay with it. But like the idea of, you know, they put you under anesthesia sometimes for like oral surgery to get your wisdom teeth yeah. out. Uh-uh. No, right. you ain't. I'm going to be looking you straight in the eye when you pull my teeth. <laughs> no. And that is why I still have my wisdom teeth. And a host of other reasons. But yeah, no, there's the, you don't, you don't want that feeling of vulnerability. Right. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. I think that's why this guy is so interesting to me. Uh, I kind of knew this story, but didn't know a lot of the details. In 1961, this man named Leonid Rogozov is a doctor who participates in a Soviet Antarctic expedition. He was the only doctor at the outpost with 11 other men. And while there, he develops appendicitis. 
which he has to perform himself on himself he doesn't ap- uh, to avoid death. He has to do his own appendectomy. Yes. That is awesome. Can you imagine when he diagnosed himself and being like, really? Really? <laughs> like me? I would have I said, at least Ooh, like get a doctor th- on the expedition. Three hours of denial. We get the whole sequence of events from a very dispassionate journal that he kept at the time. On the morning of April 29th, he identifies that he has the symptoms and remarks that transport is impossible because of snowstorms. And then he goes, really? Right now? Really? For about the next three hours. He said, it seems that I have appendicitis. I am keeping quiet about it, even smiling. Why frighten my friends? Who could be of help? A polar explorer's only encounter with medicine is likely to have been in a dentist chair. And so did he get anybody to help him do it? Like two days later, at two in the morning, he gets a driver and a meteorologist who are with him to hold a mirror and hand him instruments while he reclines on a bed. All right. And he begins. Yeah. And after about 40 minutes, he starts to take breaks for weakness and vertigo. And I, I guess you would. Finally, he gets the uh, appendix out. And they take a bunch of grisly photographs that you can see on the rare historical photos site. It's pretty cool. I would like to see that. <laughs> so, and then afterwards, he resumes his regular duties um, as a doctor. Uh, but the story gets out and the self-surgery that he performed captures the imagination of the Soviet public at the time. And he gets all these um, awards and stuff and makes appearances. <laughs> if yeah, if you can't parlay that into like a talk show stint, yeah, or it's like you know we talked about in the eighties how you could just get on the talk show circuit. If you've for got a gimmick, the, yeah, the that would be appendectomy the, man. Exactly. So from uh, nineteen eighty six to two thousand, he served as the head of surgery. Uh, at St. Petersburg Research Institute for Tubercular Pulmonology. And I just wanted to share the story because I think it's really cool. And you can, I, I think you really should look at the photos. They're pretty neat just because it, it's an example of insane mental discipline that you would have to practice and to ignore all your brain warnings and completely master your body. And so it appeals in some weird way. That's very beautiful. Number seven. I decided it was time for us to start giving back. It's okay. I'm scared of needles too, but I promise you, you won't feel a thing. It turns out I love blood. Love it. It's 92% water and contains hemoglobin, which transports oxygen throughout our circulatory system. Where did I learn this? In a course I took to become a certified phlebotomist that I passed with flying colors. So I feel, I feel... A little silly making my first pick, my first pick after this story of nobility and, and courage from a real man. Okay. But um, I got to start with a weird one. And I'm going to give you Chanel Oberlin from Scream Queens. This is to, even saying her name technically constitutes a spoiler for the show, but the plot of the show is very thin and very irrelevant, so I don't think it matters. So this is very much the the spiritual opposite of of our number eight pick. Uh huh. That's but, good though. Yeah, we, we like contrast. We do like to run the gamut. I know we do. All right. So Scream Queens was a show by Ryan Murphy of American Horror Story fame that had two seasons in 2015 and 2016. And it flew under the radar a little bit, despite the fact that it had an excellent ensemble cast and a really fun popcorn-y slasher horror premise. So it's like if the film Heathers turned into a slasher movie, basically. Okay. 
Now, I know I have expressed my dismay at Ryan Murphy before and how I feel that he will mine events and stories that are not his to tell, and I don't appreciate that. But this show, actually, I think is his most fun, finest work because there's not anything problematic in my eyes there. And it's just like a really fun, silly, ridiculous show. I was surprised by how good that was. I saw you watching it, and then I just started sitting in on it. It was really funny. It was. I mean, it was It was a really fun show, and I, I just think because everybody was paying attention to American Horror Story at the time, like, nobody really s- s- thought too much of this one. Well, it, it seemed to work better for me because it's like he had the chops and the good ideas to get a story off the ground with American Horror Story, but then he couldn't help himself, and American Horror Story eventually would turn into this show, and so it's better if he just did this, this show, show yeah. instead of trying to mix the two. Just do the campy show you want to yeah. do instead of trying to make something that's like legitimately scary, but then also That's why the only weird. good season was the first season with Connie Britton. <laughs> we lo- we love Connie yes. Britton okay, in this but house. Anyway. In this house, we should get, you know like they have those live laugh love songs. Yeah. We should do one or signs. We should do one for our houses like the house rules. Live laugh love Connie Britton. <laughs> <laughs> There are several doctors on this show, all of them pickworthy, including Dr. Brock Holt, a surgeon with an evil hand transplant, played by John Stamos, and Dr. Cassidy Cascade, played by Taylor Lautner of Twilight fame. Mm-hmm. But I'm here to talk about the eventual TV doctor, Chanel Oberlin, played by Emma Roberts. Oh my god, ghosts. They're not ghosts, idiot. They're nurses. Just try not to touch them, number five. We're doctors now, which means nurses are basically our servants. She is, I guess, the main anti-hero main protagonist of the show. And it's kind of funny because I think when you start season one of the show, you have like the good girl nice characters that are supposed to be the ones who get to the bottom of things. and uh-huh. But then very quickly it becomes clear that no one is interested in watching their story. Nope. And it quickly becomes Chanel's show. Yeah. And she's terrible, but we love her. Yeah. Anybody with a earnest eyebrows and a newsboy cap can take a hike. We like to see her. Yeah. yeah that girl just kind of like disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it was all for the best. So Chanel Oberlin is a ruthless, uber-rich sorority president who terrorizes everyone in her orbit with her cruel and cutting remarks. She is a fantastic character and made even more so because she has a single vulnerability which is her love for her stupid jerk boyfriend, Chad Radwell. I mean, like, the names should give you a clue of, like, how campy and and fun this show is. Uh So by the time we see her become a doctor, which happens at the end of season two, um, and she becomes a television doctor, (laughs) she is the uber example of the hotshot doctor whose narcissism actually makes them kind of good at their craft, Uh which is why I wanted to mention (laughs) her. There is a weird fact that some... They have you read this when you read about psychopathy uh-huh. that someone who has like psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies, if they're raised in a non traumatic way and they can put their tendencies to good use, they make excellent surgeons. I have not heard about that specifically, but I mean, 
that stands to reason that you could be really good at your profession if you need to be completely calm yeah. in a crisis. You want you want a robot to do your very delicate surgery. You don't want them they're they don't want you don't want them to get fear brain and not be able to think. Yeah, which I just find so fascinating that that like the the world is such a rich tapestry of personalities that you can actually be by all accounts a piece of crap person who has no <laughs> empathy for others however you could be excellent at literally saving lives i was just thinking because um, of your cool head in like a cyberpunk world or something there should be some sort of drug that would get rid of your emotions and turn you into a psychopath to do a specific task but that's probably just what drugs are <laughs> I, don't, I don't know i don't know it's like the uh i don't know but let's not find yeah. out but, but yeah there's not even really anything to say about this pick Except for watch Scream Queens if you haven't, because it is a terrific, like, I'm being lazy today and I'm going to just binge watch one entire show. Just, wa just watch this one because it's fun. And I don't think Emma Roberts is a particularly nice person in real life. I don't know. There but are a few people on the show that that might be true about, but they're oh, real good in this. Oh, you freaking Leah Michelle's in this also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who is a known piece of crap, according to many interviews. She, she's great in the show. But I know. It's kind they, of Maybe funny. this will be a good outlet for them. Maybe it is. It will be a, a natural place to sort of test their I've heard their some psychology. stories. I've heard of some stories that Ryan Murphy might be saying too. So basically, it's a show by psychopaths for psychopaths. I think he was a little mean to Kathy. Kathy Bates that she did not mention him specifically in an award speech. Oh, you, so, you, what did he do to Kathy Bates? So, yeah. Don't do anything mean to Kathy Bates. She's an international treasure. <laughs> and she also played a homebrew doctor when she was Annie Wilkes in Misery. Oh, that's true. That would have been a good one. She could have been on the countdown. She I thought been. about it, but I was like, eh. but anyway, we love Kathy Bates. Okay. I don't know. We're all over the place. Countdown. Number six. I'm sorry, Captain. Did I wake you again? What the hell's going on? Feeding time. <laughs> Don't be greedy. Does this go on every night? Only when I'm here. They're uh, very demanding when they know I'm in sickbay. Great. If someone asked you, would Star Trek show up in our list about doctors? <laughs> I don't know. You might have said yes, but I've got an interesting one that I don't think you would have guessed. This is not McCoy. It's not the hologram. It's not Crusher. This is Dr. Phlox from Star Trek Enterprise, which ran from 2001 to 2005. Yeah, this is, this is a, a dark horse candidate amongst Star Trek doctors. Is this the only series that you didn't really watch much of? I don't think. I No, I didn't also watch the other one. Uh, Voyager. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm surprised you don't remember him because he was featured so prominently in one of those video montages they showed us at the Star Trek convention in Chicago. Don't I you mean, remember? I, I remember many things about the Star Trek convention in Chicago. <laughs> end of story. That's the end of that. That's the end of that statement. I have some pretty funny pictures of uh, Rebecca losing her patience throughout the day of <laughs> the Star because you liked going, but then there were some things that just went on too long okay. or were not baked well enough. Now here's the thing, and I carried. Look, I spent five years in comic convention planning True. and this convention we went to was before you had done that it was so this is um your observation it was fresh to validate eyes. your feelings at the time yeah well and and the thing is i have to say i really hate 
there's nothing more I hate in this world than a sycophantic Q&A audience. Yeah, that's pretty we rough. We both hate rough. that. We hate it so much. And it's like, I know you're excited to see the person that you want to see. But, like, don't give them too easy a laugh for everything yeah, they say. Yeah, and also don't subsume my personal identity into a collective audience. I don't cease to exist because there's somebody on stage. I do not become the audience. I don't like feeling like my autonomy and identity is diluted into the audience. And, 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 and yes, which is also upsetting and gross. People love to just lose themselves in that, yes. in that crowd. They're like, I'm going to ask a really stupid question. I can't wait to get up to that mic and- <laughs> Do it faster than everybody else. So that's gross. Yes, we all love Brent Spiner. We all love Jonathan Frakes. And that's the freaking thing of it. That's the thing of it. I am concerned in the world because I feel (laughs) that Brent Spiner doesn't have an accurate representation of who he is as a person because he's everywhere you go. He's so well received in the rooms that he chooses to enter in his life. People laugh uproariously at everything. Brent Spiner and Jonathan Frank said in that Q&A. And I'm like, guys, it's not that funny. They're, they swell, yeah, guys. Yeah, they great seem great. Guys. I'm sure they are funny. But not every line is a... Is gut, a knee slapper. Gut, yeah. No, it's not. I can't stand that. And this is so funny. Like, my personal repulsion about Q&As has... I, it is, I, I did do event planning for five years. But it's worth mentioning that I almost never went to a Q&A. <laughs> at our show i just i I can't stand it It makes my skin crawl just just treat people normally just be normal just be cool like i just want to beg everybody in the q a's like just be cool don't be a jabroni don't ask any jabroni questions and also don't ask a question that's not really a question like mr spiner isn't it true isn't it true that would you tell my girlfriend that i want to marry her or just anything like that (laughs) don't make it about you don't make it too weird don't ask a weird question just quit just be normal just be cool and i can't stand it i die of secondhand so embarrassment. We're, yeah we're still embarrassed by this thing i'm from, still embarrassed God, it's probably eight years ago or I something know, it is longer than that <laughs> that's many moons ago why are you bring up all this trauma for me so you could talk about dr flox well if you don't remember about dr flox from that montage <laughs> i'll tell you that he is not human Although, in the fine tradition of Star Trek aliens, he looks pretty human on balance, I have to say. He's a Danubian, which means he has hair-forehead makeup and ridges framing his eyes and hair that is a little long in the back, like a Stephen King protagonist or Bob Woodward in the 80s. Okay. Uh, I, I assume that the ridges impact his, his hairline in some way. A little bit. It just means he has a high forehead, like all the aliens at the time in the 90s. That's all we could do, even on Babylon 5. He's the doctor for the Enterprise NX-01. This is the first Star Trek spaceship uh, helmed by Captain Archer, Scott Bakula. So this guy, Dr. Flox, was played by John Billingsley, who was also a rude customer in an old Nintendo training video that I found. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> you people amaze me. You really amaze me. Your quality control people, they just have bats in the belfry. Bought this Game Boy yesterday, took it home, nothing. Absolutely nothing. No picture. I'm pretty sure it's the E. Uh, so his deal, Dr. Mm-hmm. Flox's deal, is, you know how each Star Trek doctor has their own thing going on? Like, McCoy is a gruff humanist. Crusher is smart and compassionate. Dr. Phlox is an organics expert. Not only does he know everything about all kinds of organic species, he keeps a lot of creepy pets, and he sometimes treats people with very organic remedies. Like, if I remember correctly, he does use alien little creatures that are like leeches and things like that. So if you get get sick, he isn't going to do something that's totally clinical. He believes in, like, working with your body. 
Okay, and now remind us where in the timeline Enterprise takes place. This is... I don't remember the exact years, but yet, but this is before uh, Kirk and before Discovery. So before the little... This is know, the first warp-capable spaceship that we put up. Okay, which also obviously affects medicine. It does not. No, it does not. No, and also the Danubians would have had more advanced medicine than us. I think he's like... 200 years old by the time. I actually uh, read that Dr. Phlox was born in the 21st century. Well. So by the time this series comes along, he's already 100 and something years old. Okay. And has many wives. And we can look forward to him being born Pretty, pretty soon. soon. Just yeah, not I on think Earth. he was born at the end of the 21st century, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, and so I was just going to bring up how he likes to work with your body and individual bodies and not like a one size fits all solution. Um, and it reminded me of like how we talk about how important it is to have a doctor who listens for this reason, because they do tend to prescribe like a one size fits all for things, but you know, the weird thing going on with you. And we always talk about how crappy it is. You can't have a body scan that says I need this complement of nutrients and these types of things. And you feel like sometimes they don't diagnose you as well as you're diagnosing yourself, you know? Yeah. We're, we're lucky that like we have the same physician. I really like our doctor. I do too. Because she'll listen to a narrative and be like, you want to do what? And I'm like, can we try this? And she's like, yep. I love that though. I'm flattered. He requested my assistance commander. Number five. Tracy's doctor put him on some new medication. I guess it's some sort of reaction. Well, he's coming tapes in... Less than two hours. Call me if you need me. Okay, back, Mitt. I'm bugging out! I'm bugging out! I'm bugging out! As we continue to toe the line between the sublime and the ridiculous... Uh, I give us number five, and that is Dr. Leo Spachemin uh-huh. from 30 Rock. Okay, so I know I've talked about 30 Rock before on this show a couple of times, and it remains as one of the Audie's defining TV comedies. But today I'm here to talk about the best running gag character. So 30 Rock had a habit of making a one-off joke, they, and then they would keep on referencing it throughout the series. They would just establish a joke and then... It wasn't supposed to be anything they committed to, but then they nonetheless committed to it, uh-huh. which I really do like and admire that they that they did that so many times throughout the series. So one of the earliest examples of a running gag that they stuck with was the creation of Dr. Leo Spachemin, who was played by Chris Parnell. He appears in name in an early season one episode when Tracy, who is experiencing psychosis and is in need of his medicine, tells the staff that his prescribing doctor is named Dr. Spaceman. Uh They, of course, think this is him being delusional, but when his boss, Liz, finally finds the prescription bottle, she sees the name Dr. Spaceman printed (laughs) on the label. But um, for the rest of the series, they use Dr. Spachemin, which is how you pronounce it, although it's spelled Spaceman, whenever any character needs to consult with a doctor. This is Dr. Leo Spachemin. Hi, I work with Tracy Jordan, and I think he's having a reaction to some of the medication you put him on. Ugh, I was afraid this might happen. You know, he's on so many different neuroleptics and tricyclics that there's no telling how they'll mix. But what can you do? Medicine's not a science. So he is 
a quack and probably not even a real doctor. And he says things like, science is whatever we want it to be. <laughs> and medicine isn't a science. And he says stuff like that all the time. And um, the reason that the character is so good is that Chris Parnell really, really excels at the, the doctor's speech cadence yeah. that makes him sound like he's playing it straight, but he's saying all these ridiculous things. And this is a really good example of just the absurdity of taking someone's word for something because they look like they should know things. Uh -huh. um, so basically, he's Dr. Oz, but only about 15% more ridiculous. <laughs> so I, I, I just think the character is a really fun commentary kind of on medical expertise and then our blind trust of people who have faked their way into the status quo. Well, it's just like a so so uh, sociopath thing you talked about, like Dr. Spichemin has zero morals or about anything yeah and does so not question whether he should be practicing medicine there's no reservations in his brain so i i do think that's a really fun character and uh so something always to be aware of in society like just because someone is walking the walk listen to the content of what they're saying mm -hmm. it might not be correct uh see also the c-suite of your organization Yes, see that in particular. Now, don't worry, that's just a fancy doctor word for your brain is broken. Unfortunately, there's no field of medicine that deals with the brain. But I can give you a pamphlet for a cult. Number four. In the Middle Ages, medicine was still in its infancy. The art of healing was conducted not by physicians, but by barbers. The medieval barbers were the forerunners of today's men of medicine, and many of the techniques they developed are still practiced today. This is the story of one such barber. Next is a man who can cut your hair and catch your blood with the same bowl. This is <laughs> Theodoric of York, the medieval barber. Yay! Hello, Theodoric of York. Uh, it's springtime, and I'm here for my annual haircut and bloodletting. Well, welcome, son of Miller, William. Well, it's time to see you now. Have a seat. So this is a Steve Martin character from one of the most famous sketches on Saturday Night Live about a medieval barber who cheerfully treats life-threatening injuries with treatments that are just as painful and dangerous. This was from a season three episode with Steve Martin as host during the last season of um, that original cast that we called the Not Ready for Primetime Players so this is Aykroyd, Belushi, Jane Curtin, Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, and all that crew. So this is like 78, 79? Like what kind of, I mean, what? Uh, yes, yes. That kind of mm -hmm. era? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and personally, I rarely go before 1990 when I look at the old sketches. Um, but sometimes these are pretty fun to watch, the old 70s ones. Yeah, I was going to say those are fun. Uh, the 80s had a dark spot when Dennis Miller was on. Uh -huh. <laughs> Uh, and like we'd all agree, well, whatever. <laughs> the Joe Piscopo years are, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, are yeah. of middling quality. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, how funny can a show be when when Joe Piscopo says things like, I will not make fun of Frank Sinatra when I'm playing Frank Sinatra. Like, what do you do with that? So, What do you do with that? It's like some <laughs> absurd Andy Kaufman-esque meta commentary or meta humor, but he wasn't aware of it. He was just a dumb guy. <laughs> Well, you mentioned like Andy Kaufman. Um, that's what I was going to say about the 70s ones. Uh, some of these sketches are really incredible from the 70s, but it's almost more like um, art or theater than polished sketches from this era at the time. Like it's almost like 
better to watch for like media history, like the weird episode where Mary Hart is out of her mind on cocaine the entire episode, like in real life. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a real <laughs> weird one. Um, and then there's the weird episode with Simon and Garfunkel as the guest where Paul Simon says something like really catty and crappy to Paul Simon, but he doesn't think it got picked up on the mic well enough. So he gets closer to the mic to repeat it one more time. It's really weird and fun to watch. Anyway, one of the standout sketches from this period was a sketch called Theodoric of York. And Steve Martin plays one of these overconfident barber surgeons that we talked about in the intro. And people come in uh, to his haircut place with fevers and traumas or wanting to get a haircut and he wants to drain their blood or bury them up to their heads in the marshes or diagnose them with chickens and stuff like that. And Gilda Radner plays this hilarious assistant that's kind of like Igor or something and he calls her Broom Gilda which is really funny I thought. That's cute. And she, she's always like making grunting noises and stuff. Theodore Barber of York. Say don't I know you? Yeah you worked on my back. <laughs> Uh, what seems to be the matter with your friend here? I broke his legs. Hmm. I was at the Festival of the Vernal Equinox, and uh, I guess I had a little bit too much meat, and I darted out in front of an ox cart, and it all happened so fast that poor little fellas couldn't stop in time. Well, <laughs> you'll feel a lot better after a good bleeding. But I'm bleeding already. <laughs> Say, who's the barber here? I mean, the premise is pretty self-explanatory but it's so funny because like dr spaceman he's so confident and everybody just goes along with his advice no matter how horrible it is oh well that's interesting i guess i didn't um i knew this was going to be your pick but i didn't pick up on that theme so like it's been years since i've seen any of these older sketches so yeah, yeah. And, and you can imagine um how steve martin is great for that because he's got that really cheerful yeah. He's just bl blind to the ridiculousness of the situation sort of thing. He does that really well. And, and I, you know, obviously the sketch like begs the question about what medicine do we practice now that is going to seem weird and barbaric in the future? Yeah, it's going to be some. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's it going to be some to a lot. And it's hard to, um you know, get asked that on the spot. But the thing that crossed my mind is I think it'll be less trauma treatments, but more to do with chemicals like our whole system of private for-profit drug companies making one-size-fits-all pills and, and for people i think that's going to seem really messed up i had a friend or i have a friend uh when he was doing all his pre-med training stuff who would talk about how medicine is pretty much about making cocktails of products to balance each other's side effects so you just throw one thing out of whack with one pill, but then you have to put on another pill that will yeah. counteract those. And hopefully that one's extra side effects or you just sit with. But if not, then you take another pill and uh, it just, you keep buying stuff. Yeah. And so it's just a weird, weird system. It is a weird system. And I'm, I'm very weirded out by, it's just, I don't, you know, th this drug works because this binds with a particular receptor. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's so specific. And uh, it may not work well for you. And it may not work. Or it may work in three months. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I, I really do think that um, the concept of SSRIs as we know them. <laughs> Although will... you should try them and, and use them if you need to use them, I should say. But it's, uh, they need to work on well, them. Well, it is frustrating because chemically we can understand what happens in the brain of someone who is is neurotypically like 
like mm-hmm. n- un- not depressed or, wh- mm-hmm. or whatever you want to say. But that doesn't mean that we can replicate those situations no matter how hard we try. Yeah. It's well, a lot of trial and error, and it's so frustrating. And the frustrating. side effects are different for everybody, which is why I was thinking about like that body scanning. You need to treat individual people um, instead of just throwing it at the wall. Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in crazy rich person blood work and like telomere <laughs> lengthening and stuff. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I just I we're right on the cusp of so many things that will make yeah. all of our current practices seem very barbaric. And I mean good, but then also it will be weird. Yeah, well that's why I love Huel, which is the not <laughs> which is not a sponsor of our show, but I love. And it's like my soylent green and it's probably not people and I love it. It's probably not people. There are lots of greens in there. <laughs> right. I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I think a little more bloodletting and some boar's vomit, he'll be just fine. Yeah. Number three. This is most embarrassing, Miss Quinn, and I want to apologize for the inconvenience, but we will, of course, pay your way back to Boston. That won't be necessary, thank you. Colorado Springs needs a doctor, and I happen to be one. <laughs> But you don't understand. No one around here has ever heard of a lady doctor. Well, it's always the first time. But, miss, there are no respectable single women in Colorado Springs. That's a shame, Reverend. Every town should have at least one. Now, this is one of Will's favorite show. Of no. course, I pick Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. <laughs> no, um, it's not Or as I the... know it, not Highlander, when no. I'm watching this at the time it originally ran. Do you have any memories of Dr. Quinn, yeah. medicine woman? You So, you, okay... Because as I was researching this, because I'm going to ask you to share some okay. in a moment, because my entire experience was just like TV promos of what was going to happen on Dr. <laughs> Quinn Medicine Woman. And this is the main TV doctor I think of when you're like, name a doctor. I'm like, you well, got to hand Quinn them to Medicine it. Woman. It is a very catchy title because everybody knows that phrase. Um, so there's a, they have that, but I know what you're talking about because they use that same TV promo announcer for everything. Like I yes. can still remember like next time on Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. It was the same. the same. Next time on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Like this was a drama about an old timey lady doctor in the American West. And it only ran for six seasons from 1993 to 1998. But in my mind, it was infinite. And in my mind, the 90s was a purgatory where you're flipping channels for an entire decade. And that's all that's on. It's a promo telling you what's going to happen on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Every show was flipped through. There were very few shows. Pretty much when you watch TV, you were watching three shows at a time. That is definitely true. You were. We blame our phones for ruining our attention And remember we had the recall button so you could switch between them? I yeah, got back and forth. That. Yeah. Or I watch wrestling. You had favorites. You could program the favorites. Ah, that's you, a good remote. It would just like cycle through them all on the cable box. I do remember it. Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, because it came on like in between like Highlander and something else, but Dr. Quinn and wings would make me just hit myself in the head with a hammer when I saw it. <laughs> yes. And when I, I grabbed a couple of clips cause you told me to for this, I will say the, when I saw it, it doesn't even look old timey. It looks like such a backyard film thing. It looks like all those crappy, like lonesome dove park back lot garbage. They I mean, could, they couldn't spend a not whole to bias what you're about to say. Well, you know, they had to paint Jane Seymour a good salary. That's true. She is a doctor. She was. She had to pay her a good salary, so they had to skimp on some some of the budget. 
So she plays Michaela Quinn, a proper doctor from wealthy Boston, who decides to chase adventure by becoming a doctor in Colorado. Okay. Um, also, apparently, early in the story, her midwife gets snake bit and she <laughs> dies. And so Dr. Quinn gets the midwife's kids to raise, which is weird if you think about it. And she sort of raises them with her hunky love interest named <laughs> Sully. And you could tell he's a rugged mountain man because he has leather fringe on his jacket. Not era appropriate. <laughs> and a shoulder length bob with natural golden highlights. <laughs> I did see I did see a clip of this, and I saw one right when the kids got there. I remember seeing the little boy said something like he chewed all his words. He was like, "Oh, I live here." I saw that. <laughs> oh, I live here. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that there was a lot of really excellent <laughs> acting on Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman. They really just relied on Jane Seymour. They're like, "Look, the show's all about you. Yeah. We got some." oddballs that are just hanging around the studio lot and we're going to have to just put them in the show and just work with what you got. Some of them won't know they're in the show. (laughs) Some of them are just kids who wandered over from another set. And we told him they live with you now and he's going to be upset. (laughs) They're the siblings of children who got cast in real shows, but they don't know what to do with them during (laughs) the the other ones. That's funny. Also, this this went on to air in a hundred countries and God. live on in syndication. So, like Doctor Quinn, it is eternal at this point. But uh, uh, it saw an overarching story of breaking gender stereotypes, frontier life, defending the Indian people from army oppression, which I'm sure happened a lot more in media than it happened in real life. <laughs> uh, romances, loss, and even struggles with epidemics. So okay. if you're wondering what you missed in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, that's that was it. Okay. Don't so, say I missed it. Oh uh, well, I think this was mostly just the kind of safe and gentle show that you could watch when you were homesick from school and too tired to change channels. Uh-huh. So if you find yourself in that position now, turn on Dr. Quinn, because you could probably find it somewhere. I do feel I was trying to think of who it appeals to. I could see how it looks like you might be into the romance storyline. Yeah. Like you'd want to imagine being uh, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, and going on this adventure and having this nice man you're trying to tame. And I, I think that's the appeal. I think that is the appeal. And then also, you know, the appeal of being uh, of, of motherhood that is selflessly adopted. Like, you know, it's like uh-huh. something that you're like choosing to do. You know, completely like there, there was no getting saddled with youngins, mm-hmm. you know, as, as was probably common during the time pre widely available contraception. Although everyone has always used contraceptive methods from the beginning of time. It's always been a thing. The end. But um, I do think that that was that was the appeal was like that, that uh, the, the, the foundational romance between her and Sully. I think uh-huh. that that was the thing. And when I was trying to find clips of this show, I found a bizarre amount of like YouTube fan edits, but like edits to like songs uh-huh. and just, <laughs> just stuff like that. So the Dr. Quinn fandom is real and alive. And I, I salute you, Dr. Quinn fandom. That's fine. I just, it's not for me maybe because I've not been sick home from school in many years. But you know this is this is nice. This is a sweet idealistic view of doctoring, where the problems were real problems, but they were always handled with love in your heart and a gentle swell of strings. <laughs> but you only just got here. I'm gonna be staying in the barn. I want to live here. Well, you got no choice. There's room for a cow in here. Number two. 
want me to not only bridge you into a confined space, but one traveling at 90 miles per hour? I can't even count the number of ways that can go wrong. Mass displacement, trauma, twisted limbs, metal burn. Well, maybe not the last one. For my next one, I'm going to bring in a doctor for some very specific symptoms. One, you have parts out of alignment. Two, your system's running hot. Uh-oh. Three, you are hemorrhaging fluids. Uh-oh. You are a robot and you need a Transformer medic named Ratchet. Uh, it's always the Transformers and the, it's always the Transformers on the show. There's always. There is a Transformer for every occasion. But unlike the Ghost of Starscream, <laughs> this one is not very obscure. Ratchet gets left out of the conversation a lot, but he's one of the main guys. He was a big deal in the G1 cartoon and stayed a part of Optimus Prime's inner circle throughout the franchise. Can you guess what Ratchet, the medic transformer, transforms into? An ambulance? He does transform into an ambulance. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. I'm mad at you for giving me that question and <laughs> mad at myself for answering <laughs> it. <laughs> Here are some fun facts about Ratchet. He was named after Nurse Ratchet. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Which which I'll, we'll go ahead and say is an honorable mention yeah. um, on this list, obviously, because that was a really popular perversion of the healer trope, uh -huh. you know, and, and obviously an iconic character. But yes. okay, so Ratchet was named after Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, probably because of his weird bedside manner, I guess is where they got that from. Um, in some series, he's kind of like a fun-loving party guy, and he gives patients a hard time when they come in with all kind of messed up injuries. And in others, he's a like a curmudgeonly field medic, and he's just terrible. Um, he was also originally supposed to be a female Transformer, but apparently Hasbro wanted these to be all boy robots when the series was first launched. We can't have little boys playing with a girl ambulance. <laughs> that would be inappropriate. <laughs> For I their think, little masculine egos. Why not? Why couldn't Ratchet be a girl? Well, the, yeah, because they were probably thinking like nurse and especially in the 80s, they were probably Nurses thinking. Nurses aren't real doctors. They're <laughs> completely different. And little boys only want to play with manly doctors. I don't think they tried out a girl Transformer until the movie with RC. They're all cars. They all look <laughs> like a car. It's all the same. It's fine. Some of them are pink. But all Transformers are gender non-conforming, like, in their own way. They started ways. playing with that in the comic books a little bit, actually. Well, good. They should explore that more, because that is a beautiful transhumanist uh, ex you know, right. expression of what it means to be a, a person and what it is like to live an embodied experience. I think my favorite version of Ratchet is from Transformers Prime, which was the Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orsi show from 2010 to 2013. And in this series, Ratchet is voiced by Jeffrey Combs. <gasps> Aww. He was the first voice cast for the show, followed by the original Optimus and Megatron voices from the G1 cartoon. Uh, so in this so, series, so why? So what was it about the aura of Jeffrey Combs that made them say we need this to be our ratchet? They wanted somebody who was uh, an old war hero and field medic, and was just a real curmudgeon and seemed a little darker than the other ones. So I, you oh, kind of he imagine. has a darkness. Okay, I get it yes. completely. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yes. So in like I was saying, in this series, 
Ratchet is an old Cybertron soldier who resents getting involved with the humans on this planet they end up on, but starts to warm up to the smart kids that help them at the base. And he butts heads with his old friend Optimus about whether to kill Decepticons and things like that to finally put an end to them because he resents the damage the Decepticons have caused him and all the friends they have killed and everything. And he always says that Optimus isn't being aggressive enough and they get into it sometimes. Okay. You didn't pound Megatron into scrap when you had the chance! Many chances, in fact! I'm afraid that the synthetic energon has impaired your judgment, old friend. I thought this was a fun character because... He is that old military or frontier medic who's seen too much war and suffering to suffer any nonsense or sentimentality from anybody else. And he's probably fighting that war inside himself. Yeah, and, he's like, I'm, I'm healing these people, but what for? Right. And because he, life is pain. And he seems really cold where, where in situations where he wants to kill the Decepticons and everything, but he's doing it because he's tired of seeing people get injured and come, come to him. Yeah, I heal you. And then you go back out, and the world is cruel right. to you once again. I, I, I get it. I, th- I understand the feelings. Well, here you talk. I wonder what kind of doctor Rebecca would be if you were a doctor. And could you see a world where you would be a doctor? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really? I'd, I'd be a no-nonsense country doctor. I don't want to give anything away about my... Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I know. Yeah. I, I think I am pretty practical, and I have a decent head on my shoulders and I'm not too prone to sentimentality or panic. Mm-hmm. So I think that I would be a good country doctor. That is really funny. I was going to say, I think I would be the opposite experience. If you're a doctor shopping and what Rebecca says doesn't appeal to you, <laughs> I think I would listen very hard to what you say. And I would agree with everything you say. And I'd be, Oh yeah, you got that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's probably what it is. You got that. Uh, and I am scared of medical stuff. But uh, I'm I'm pretty good in a crisis. I don't get freaked out, so that, I don't know. I mean, probably being listened to would probably go a long way in helping somebody. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe, I mean, seriously, maybe a if, therapist. Maybe not a trauma doctor. Well, but that I don't know because you could also even just help them come to reasonable conclusions on their own, and that would just help them <laughs> as much as anything. I'm thinking of an anecdote that I heard from Tobias Forge, the guy from, who does the band Ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to the making music a full-time career, he, after he had his, he, his wife had his babies after he had his babies was like, I need a real job. Right. And I can't be heavy metal for money. And so he got a job as like a cell phone technician, like a cell phone store guy. Uh And he said that he didn't know anything about how to fix the phones at all. But basically, when people would come to him with problems, he would just be like, well, what do you think you should do? And he would just like talk talk to them nicely. Just help people follow us, see what's do things scientifically <laughs> and systematically. He's just, he like talking, just like, it's like, well, what do you, th- hmm, that's an interesting problem. Like, what do you think you should do? I found and that, it worked, yeah. And it wasn't a disaster, which is really funny. I feel like if you do that in any job, you'll get about 70% of the way there to like That must be it. true. And it's if just you, common sense. If you add any sort of like empathy or listening skills to that, you will be excellent in whatever you pursue. Which keeps people calm and logical. It does. And so if you need a doctor and you just need somebody, you know, like who's going to make you feel understood, then you go to Will. But if you want a doctor <laughs> who's going to be like, we going to yank that out of your head. 
then you'll go to me. And then you've got all your bases covered. I, I like to imagine, you know how sometimes like a doctor will distract a kid like with a lollipop and give them a shot when they're not even looking and there's YouTube videos like, oh, it's so magical. I wish that was my doctor. I think Rebecca would be like, that would be like trauma surgery. It's like slash <laughs> across your guts. Like, didn't feel a thing. Yeah, so you yeah. didn't even know it happened. <laughs> oh, I didn't. <laughs> I got your brain, Got that Master. demon right out. He wanted to come out. <laughs> he was ready. He was ready. <laughs> he was calling to me. My name is not Doc, and I do not require anyone watching my back. On mentions. I'm going to say the Deadwood Doctor, and the only reason he's not number one on here is because we've we already talked, talked about, about Deadwood him. so much and love it. Even, obviously, I think Cochran. we even talked about my favorite scene from it with him, so no more needed on him. Uh, I would say Algernon Edwards from that show, The Nick. Uh, that's on the streaming platforms right now. I think it's a really good show if you want to watch that. I think it's on HBO. Um, and then do you have Nurse Jackie on yours? I didn't put Nurse Jackie on mine. Okay, I like, but Nurse, I like Jackie. Nurse Jackie too. Okay, that was also a that's a, that's also a good bingeable okay. show. Um, and then I would also add Hawkeye on Mash. Uh-huh. Um, we all gotta love Ellen Alda. And uh, Doc Cottle on Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, and I'm going to add Nurse Ratchet because she was played by Kai Wynn on Deep Space Nine. Remember her? <laughs> the one, the lady that just is maddening and she's just the most perfectly evil. She's such a good actress. But anyway, that she's got it in well, her blood. She picked, she's so she good picked at some it. iconic roles. She sure did. Okay. Rebecca, who's the top doctor of all the time? Of all the time. Of all time. Of all the time. Number one. All right. Now, as we've discussed earlier, and this will just tie everything together very beautifully, I think, the establishment of education and degree requirements for physicians in the mid-1800s was a good thing, okay? Uh We've got to formalize the practice of medicine, apply standards, allow for medical advancements, and scientific progress, okay? However, it did devalue the work of folk medicine practitioners Uh who had been doing their thing forever and still do, still operate everywhere. And thus, I pick... Granny, maker of tonics and elixirs from the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> I'm glad she's a number one. Granny, Daisy May Moser. Well, I take it this family don't want to take my tonic? Oh, oh no, Granny, it's, it's good. Tell them step up, somebody be first. Well, uh, go on ahead. Uh, women and children first. That's the rule. <laughs> That's the rule for fire, flood, and disaster. Well, seems to me Granny's... Tonic ought to fit in there somewhere. I heard what you said, Jake Clampett. And just for that, when it comes your turn, you're going to get a double dose. Now step up, somebody, and get out. Now, this was, of course, the TV show that I've already talked about on this countdown. I'm positive of it. But about a family from the Ozarks who find oil on their land and move to Beverly Hills with their newfound wealth. And it ran from 1962 to 1971. And, of course, they did the thing that I've talked about repeatedly on this podcast where the 90s remake of that old property was like, aren't the 90s crazy? And... That film, The Beverly Hillbillies, which I think was 92 or 93, one of my favorite movies it of all time. It is really good. One it of my really favorite funny. movies of all time. With Dietrich Bader 
in there when he's playing Jethro. When, he, when he's yeah. telling the uh, the chimp about how to how to bowl. Good lord, that is funny. Hurl yourself down the slippery gully <laughs> and see how many of them there snake bashing clubs you can knock down. Before the ball gets there. Yeah. yeah. I have the whole movie memorized. I love it. The way he delivers the lines is oh, so good. Oh, he's brilliant. And of course, again, we, we've already talked about it on the show, but Jim Varney, mm-hmm. wonderful. Lily Tomlin. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Granny is played by Cloris Leachman in the film, and, mm-hmm. and she's played by Irene Ryan in the original series. Okay, so on the original Beverly Hillbilly series, Granny is a self-styled MD, which stands for Mountain Doctor. Okay, <laughs> and she uses her white lightning brew as anesthesia when she's doing uh, leech bleeding and using pliers for teeth pulling. And she says uh-huh. she does all the stuff, okay? So like in one episode, uh, they do a couple of episodes where her tonics are like a plot device for one thing or another. And in one episode, she's making her spring tonic, which is supposed to just set you right for the spring, give you energy and pep. (laughs) And she's telling Jed that she's going to go give the tonic to Washington, D.C., to both the Democrats and the Republicans to straighten out both of the parties. Okay. Okay. Uh, she gives her tonic in one episode to a bird conservation dude, and he believes himself to be a bird afterwards. So, you know, like in, in, in the movie they made in the 90s, it's Granny's tonic that gives her the energy to bust out her restraints and the shady institution she's been forcibly put into. Yeah, it, obviously, it's played for comedy, but folk medicine is a real thing. And just because we have the institutionalized medical practice that we have does not mean that all of that collective wisdom is worth nothing. Now, I don't believe that you should, for example, take supplements or something instead of medically and, you know, scientifically finding out what's wrong with you with a real MD. But I think there is room in our world to accept the wisdom of both, okay? And I just feel like we should have a more integrative way of thinking about wellness because before we had fancy old doctors and their fancy old practices, we had the mountain lady in the shack who would give you a poultice. Mm-hmm. And just because it's played for comedy in a lot of media, uh, including in this one, it doesn't mean that we should throw all that out the window. It reminds me of in Boy Scouts, when a bunch of us would start to have collected ticks over the weekend or on the week-long camping trip, Scoutmaster would just call around. I was like, all right, everybody got ticks. Come here. And then you have a, <laughs> and he have a pair of hamburger tongs, and you just line up, and he just wrench them off of you. Pop, 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 pop. He just get, get them all off of you. I think that's folk medicine. Well, yeah, you got to know how to take the tick off correctly. Yeah. You can't just, you know, can't just grab them willy-nilly, although it kind of sounds like he did. But <laughs> no, but like there, there really is, uh, just because we don't have a written record of a lot of it, there was a lot of orally passed down. Like, And they're probably on to a lot of things that became real things. Yeah, they, and they probably were. That's very true. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's definitely a real thing that should be honored. And uh, I love a good mountain doctor, so <laughs> and that would be me if I were a doctor. So, Granny, we salute you. Yes, sir, special batch I ever made.
Okay. Uh, if I'm thinking about digesting everything we talked about, I expected to have uncovered a lot more resentment about doctors and medicines because I, I just get my hackles up about the prospect of any sort of medical treatments. But I feel like we had a pretty kind relationship with these doctors. <laughs> not adversarial. We're not going to spit at them when they come at us. Yeah. No. And now I'm thinking more about what it would be like to be a doctor. And I, I still I still feel like that would be pretty far down on my personal list. I feel like I just I just wouldn't do it. I never felt called for that field either. Yeah. But I, I, I'm happy for those of us who do, and I'm always appreciative of the work that anyone who chooses to practice in a medical field. Yeah, I can't even appreciate imagine. That's, that's why it's nice to respect everybody's personal gifts and abilities and brains because i'm so glad people are not like me so that doctors can exist (laughs) (laughs) right we have our own strengths but we'll we'll let somebody else fly our planes and hack on our limbs So if you have thoughts on this list... Or, or home remedies. Or home remedies. That you want us to try for you. Good poultices. On the show. Yes. Or better yet, if you for Scott to try on the show. <laughs> <laughs> if you have that, email rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com. You can email us. I, okay. I want to say, last week I said, please email me. And the, and I did not get an email. Did you? Can you believe that? I, I can. Can you believe that? I think people want to talk to me, and they just got busy because the weather is good. Well, yeah. You so are. I know the weather's bad this week, so there's nothing to do. <laughs> you got no excuse. But write to me. Don't even write about the show. Just write to me. <laughs> Will wants pen pal. Yes. Also on Twitter. Yes. That is a way that you can find us. <laughs> you can go to Twitter or Instagram. What are What is our thing on Twitter? I always forget. At WizardsNSPod. That's right. Okay, or you can visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and other shows we do, like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series, as well as a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Thanks for listening, or Rebecca says. (laughs) You ain't reading your own script. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell of a hero Facing down fears and cutting down foes There's no resemblance to what you know When your own deeds feel humble and